Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Charlene Goff. This week, turmoil in the financial markets. We'll start with a look at the move by the European Central Bank to try to soothe investors by buying Italian and Spanish bonds. Last week you had the worst week for global equities since the depths of the financial crisis. Most markets fell the most since November 2008. Then we'll move to the US. It had its debt downgraded at the weekend from triple A to double A+. We'll ask just how big a deal this is. It's symbolic and in the long term it's massively important. Treasuries are the risk-free rate of the world. You've just upended the calculations in every single valuation analysis that's out there just about. So over time, this could change things. But in the short term, for this week, it's symbolic rather than actual in its impact. And finally, we'll discuss the effect this turmoil is having on the banking sector. And we'll look forward to what to expect from the week ahead. I think what happened in the US had the potential for a bit of mischief. Europe still has the potential to cause a meltdown. Joining me this week is the FT's Capital Markets team, Richard Milne and Jennifer Hughes. Let's start the show, though, with Stateside. Thanks, Charlene. This is Helen Thomas from New York with the US Update. Top of everyone's minds is how US banks and the financial system will respond to S&P's downgrade of the US credit rating. But meanwhile, Warren Buffett over the weekend waded into a bid battle in the reinsurance space. First up, U.S. banks reckon they're prepared for S&P's decision on Friday to downgrade the U.S.'s credit rating. Over the weekend, banks were checking liquidity and talking to customers, but said that they felt prepared after July's protracted budget talks. Regulators said the decision by S&P would not affect the way that the risks of treasuries are calculated, but some unknowns remain. What happens when Fannie and Freddie, as on Monday, as expected, are downgraded by S&P? And how will the move affect the shadow banking system, including the repo market? While market turmoil seems likely to put the brakes on most deal-making, Warren Buffett this weekend waded into the bid battle for Transatlantic Re, the reinsurer that already has two offers outstanding, one an agreed deal with Allied World and another hostile offer from rival Validus. Industry bankers say that this could herald long-awaited consolidation in the reinsurance sector after capacity poured into the industry following catastrophes and firming of rates in the past decade. That's all from the US this week. So let's start with a look at the markets. Richard, obviously it was a tumultuous week last week. Investors have been soothed slightly this morning by the ECB, which has intervened to start buying up some bonds. Is that going to do enough, do you think, to calm nerves, or are we in for a bit of a stormy time? It felt a bit like 2008, didn't it? A weekend of ringing investors who are on holiday and um, all of that. I I don't know. I think you're seeing some very different reactions. Um, You're seeing a reaction in the bond market where Italian and Spanish bonds have rallied on the news. But in the equity market, after initial slight positive reaction, has actually looked rather unimpressed by it. And I think there are big investor worries about the strength of the the ECB commitment. And I think 
undoubtedly we'll see them tested in, in the coming days and weeks. And could you just give us a bit of a run through over what happened, you know, what the big events were towards the back end of last week over the weekend? Last week you had the worst week for global equities since the depths of the financial crisis. Most markets fell the most since November 2008. On Thursday you had an ECB meeting that was sort of built up as being a big event and Jean-Claude Trichet, the head of the ECB, came out with what Alphaville liked to call his Jedi mind tricks of talking about bond buying, but the ECB only ended up buying Irish and Portuguese bonds, which, as they're in a bailout programme already, struck most people as sort of slightly pointless and caused quite a bit of selling in the market. And so the focus was, were they going to buy Italy and Spain? And also, were Italy and Spain going to do enough reforms so that they would buy? So you had this real dance, and on Friday you had Italy committing to bring forward its budget balancing a day earlier, and then you had this weekend of talks, you know, culminating last night with the ECB finally deciding to give the green light to the purchases. It's been, again, quite a protracted process. I mean, don't investors just need some decisive action now? That's what investors would like to see. The big theme I would take away from last week was really investors' disgust with politicians or disappointment at the best. If you look at the US, Washington was very pleased it had made a debt deal, but the markets just said, what took you so long? How dare you play chicken with something quite so crucial? You get to the ECB on Thursday, and whatever the ECB is trying to do, it's not having a great time with the politicians. We had Berlusconi making a speech in Italy that didn't really sue the markets at all. We've had German uh, politicians, unnamed so far, out on the wires today, basically downplaying the whole debt buying thing. At the moment, the market is looking for a real shock and awe, and politicians just don't seem to want to deliver it. There's a lot being written about how this generation of political leaders are incredibly lacking compared with previous ones. And I agree with Jen, they want leadership and there's none to be found. You know, I mean, half of Europe's on vacation. Jen, you, you mentioned there, you know, what we saw happen in Washington last week. I mean, obviously, with the US debt downgraded on, late on Friday night, I mean, that was cementing the fears that had been around earlier in the week. Was that a big shock? I mean, I know it was sort of largely priced in, but it's still incredibly symbolic, isn't it? The timing was a bit of a shock. People had thought that S&P would get around to downgrading the US because before it came to its debt ceiling deal on Monday, before Washington got there, S&P had already said, if we don't do A, B and C, then a downgrade will follow at some point. They didn't do A, B and C, so in that way it wasn't a surprise. But as you say, it's symbolic and in the long term it's massively important. Treasuries are the risk-free rate of the world. You've just upended the calculations in every single valuation analysis that's out there just about. So over time, this could change things. But in the short term, for this week, it's symbolic rather than actual in its impact. And I think, Richard, you were talking earlier before about how much this increases the risk. I was on a conference call with M&G earlier today, the UK investor, and they were saying, you know, the chance of default for a AAA credit is uh, 0% and the chance for a AA plus is 0.1%. So in that sense, if you're looking at just default risk, it's playing around at the edges. But I mean, Jen's right, global finance, it's a, it's a watershed moment. And, uh, and I think in the future, US assets or US linked assets are 55%, maybe even a bit more, of the global AAA market. If you invest in AAA assets, suddenly your pool of potential assets have just got a lot smaller. 
But what has this actually done for demand? Because I've read in a few places this morning that it's actually increased for, for US Treasuries. I mean, that sounds a bit counterintuitive to me. Well, but it's that, it's that last point. I mean, where do you invest? What is the safe haven? The same as after Lehman, because everyone thought if US banks were at risk, then people would flee US assets. But instead, the dollar rallied massively as everyone pulled assets back into the US and put them where they thought was a haven. So treasuries may be double A plus in S&P's eyes, but they're still a haven for everybody else. Is it fair to say, do you think that the crisis that's unfolding across Europe and the seemingly sort of inability of the leaders to get a grip of it in the past few days, I mean, do you think that actually has the potential to do a lot more damage to the global economy, not just the Eurozone, than what we've seen happen in the US. I think what happened in the US had the potential for a bit of mischief. Europe still has the potential to cause a meltdown. And where do you think the biggest risks are? I mean, there's been some talk in the markets that France maybe could be in line for a downgrade. Are these just people freaking out? Is there much behind those kind of concerns? Well, there's two ways of looking at it. If you look from the rating agency's perspective... France is rated stable. They both made pretty explicit commitments that they're not really looking at France. But if you look at it the other way round, uh, I saw a note today that on a CDS basis, France now trades wider than Brazil, which is rated triple B. There's a bit of a discrepancy there. It also has um, one of the higher debt to GDP ratios now, one of the higher budget deficits. It's spread to German bunds. The premium it pays to borrow for Germany has hit a record in the last week or so. Markets are nervous. That takes us quite nicely onto our final point, which is just a look at the effect this is having on the banking sector. I mean, we saw a hugely volatile week, particularly on, on Friday, with some of the British banks um, suffering up to sort of 20% losses before rebounding slightly. Again, a bit of a mixed picture on the equity front this morning. I think RBS, for example, is down again, but a couple of the other banks have recovered. Jen, I mean, what's your take on this? It, it seems that, you know, despite all the efforts to sort of strengthen the bank's capital bases and and get them holding more liquid assets that investors still have very little confidence that they can withstand these kinds of shocks. Before coming on here, I took a look at some of the interbank funding rates, which is where you first see the stress building up. It was these rates that caused the ECB to begin putting liquidity into the market literally four years ago this week. And so you look at these and they are spiking higher. But if you put it in perspective and draw the chart so you go back to 2007, we're nowhere near the Lehman levels. But the problem is after four years of constant or ongoing or slightly changing crises, everyone is really, really sensitive, which means things can move so quickly. The word is that southern European banks are having a harder time funding than their northern European ones. You wouldn't expect that if people are starting to get nervous. So it's not perhaps dangerous yet, but it has the potential to become it. And I guess as added to that is the fear that with the trouble that we're seeing, the trouble that the governments are getting into or have got themselves into, you know, there's that idea that there will be this sort of fallback there for the banks. If they were to run into problems, they can be bailed out. I mean, is there a sense that, you know, these governments just don't have the money to do that anymore, particularly if it's the bigger systems in Italy or Spain, for example? Well, I think you've hit the real point there because before in 2008, we thought we knew and we saw the banks get bailed out. We also know there is no political will for bailing it out again. And probably in most cases, there isn't the funds. I mean, Germany can't pay for everything. We have seen, I think, 100 billion of euros or so of capital get injected into these banks in the last year or so. So, I mean, I, I think there were some rumours floating around last week of a, a maybe a run starting in some of the Italian banks. But those rumours were quickly quashed 
could we see anything like that again, do you think? It's very difficult to speculate on whether you could see an actual bank run and whether that would now matter enough to spread to bigger institutions. I think more likely for now, as you say, there's a lot more capital in the banks. They are much better capitalised than they were a couple of years back. So they are in theoretically a stronger position. What we don't know is just how long this sort of disruption goes on for. August is a very difficult month anyway. There's less liquidity. It's very difficult to see how serious these moves really are. It just means that everything now comes down to September. Also, I think the other big fear is, you know, we've seen it over the last couple of weeks with the banks coming out with their first half results, you know, some of the huge exposures they have to the Eurozone debt, you know, RBS, for example, taking sort of £850 million hit on Friday for unwinding some of its Greek exposure. There is a fear that there's this whole opaque sort of layer of interconnectedness that still isn't quite as well understood maybe as, as it should be. What's interesting to me is the way that different banks are treating that differently. Now, you saw RBS take a 50% hit on its Greek holdings. But then earlier in the week, you'd seen BNP Paribas take the 21%, which is what's been agreed internationally that they'll take. But also it moved its Greek assets into what's known in the accounting world as level three, which means it says there is no market for those government bonds. So it has to value them according to a model. The idea that there is no market for government debt is kind of interesting, but that's the only bank we've seen do that. So it's going to take investors a while to get to grips with exactly what each bank is going to do on this one. Absolutely. Well, we'll be watching closely. But that's all we have time for today. All that's left is to thank Richard and Jennifer in the studio in London. Banking Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. We'll be taking a break now until August the 22nd. So till then, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.